Who's, uh, who's ever familiar with the phrase, are we there yet? Well, you hear the groans from people. <laughs> you just imagine the family gets into the car. You're about to drive to Bernie. It's a four-hour drive. The phrase you hear within three minutes, if that. <laughs> That's our kids. <laughs> that was me when I was a kid. Are we there yet? <laughs> how long is this trip? I remember asking Dad, how long is this trip going to be? We were, um, Dad had a Volkswagen Combi. Um, it was a work car, so there were no seats in the back. So we used to play games <laughs> running around in the back of this car. But I remember regularly, and we never had an accident. We never crashed. We didn't get hurt often. Yeah, by my brother, maybe. But we would ask, how long is it till we get there? Are we there yet? And Dad would say, it's another 40 minutes because we've just left home. <sighs> so we keep doing what we... At least nowadays there's DVDs and all sorts of things in the car. But every person's familiar with, with the groan, with the familiar scream. Are we there yet? When's it going to happen? And most people recognise the sound of that. And if you're like most adults, this sort of thing can send your eyes twitching. the story and Inspector Dreyfus every time Inspector Cluso came along. No, I'm not playing the whole theme song. But just the twitch of his eye every time the Inspector would come along, he would... It sent him nuts. And as parents, we have kids that are asking, are we there yet? 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 It goes on and on and on. But even as adults, we do that with God don't we? God, are we there yet? Do I have to go through another lesson in life? When, when am I going to have my breakthrough? When am I going to see my healing? Why do we have to keep standing? God, are we there yet? How much longer? Who's ever said that? <laughs> the, same, the same people who had kids who do it, or who did it as kids. But we all do it, and the issue we're often wanting to avoid is discipleship. We're often wanting to avoid the journey that God wants to take us on. Who's ever been to the gym? What's the purpose of going to the gym? To get fit or? <laughs> to wear yourself out. What's the other one? Build strength and muscle. So there's purpose behind going that, but you don't go to the gym once and go, well... That's done for the rest of my life. I now look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'm fine. I don't have to ever do this again. Going to the gym is a process. It's a journey. Going on a diet is a process. You don't not eat for one meal and suddenly lose 20 kilos. You wish you would. But we don't pray to God once. Sometimes it happens, but it doesn't always happen that we pray once and everything's fixed. Sometimes we have to push in. We have to push through. And our kids know that we are going somewhere. And they don't want to go through the journey, the process of getting there. They just want to be there. And we as adults do the same thing. And the problem with many people in Western society is that they don't want to go through the growth process. They don't want to serve others. They don't want to spend time praying and studying the Word. They don't want to be discipled. But they do want to see 
breakthrough. They do want to see demons cast out. They do want to see the dead raised. They want to see the, the sick healed. They want to see all this, but they want to avoid the process that God takes them through to get to that point of maturity. We have to come to a place where we can say, God, here I am. Change me. Use me. Do whatever you need to. Dangerous prayer. But if God's plans for you are perfect and his plans are perfect, he wants to prosper you, not to harm you, give you a hope and a future. If God's plans are for that, then if you say, God, change my heart, make me more like you, that's a good prayer. It's a dangerous prayer, but it's a good prayer. The process of discipleship is twofold. We're required to walk it out, but we're also required to bring people with us. That's one of the purposes we're running connect groups because we want to see people discipled but we don't want to just train up two or three people. We want you to take others on the journey as well because the call was to all of us. I want to look at something I shared last week from Luke 24. Now you imagine there's two disciples walking down the road. They're comparing, like I said, comparing their Facebook posts, who got more likes than the other. They're talking about their family. They're talking about their jobs. They're talking about who knows whatever else. And all of a sudden, Jesus joins them and starts talking about himself through scriptures. And the Bible says, or when you, when you look at the distance, it was about 11 kilometers. And you think that's a fairly decent walk. To give you a bit of an idea, the dot on the right-hand side is Woolworths. And on the left-hand side is the Sandfly General Store. That's about 11 kilometers. So Jesus joins these guys on this walk. They walk for approximately two and a half hours. And it says, beginning with Moses, he expounded to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And they must have started this late in the day because it said it's getting to dinner time. Jesus indicated he was going to walk a bit further. They said, no, no, join us. And so Jesus blesses the bread, breaks it and gives it to them. And all of a sudden they realize, hang on, we've seen this before. Their eyes were opened and they knew, this is Jesus. And as soon as they recognized that, he was gone. How and why, I don't know, but he disappeared. And what I love about it, it says, their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us along the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? So then at that very hour, they arose and returned to Jerusalem. How many of you would get up and walk from the general store back to Kingston after dinner, just for something to do. Fran would, yes. Fran would run. <laughs> She'd do it in 15 minutes. <laughs> but these guys were so excited, Jesus has been here. He's revealed himself to us. They were so excited, they did that 11-kilometer walk all the way back to Kingston to tell everyone at City Light Church. Amen? They were so excited. They had something to talk about. And it says, they went back, they found the eleven who were gathered together saying, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told them about the things that happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. They were excited. They had something to talk about. They went and told it. And they were so excited when they came back, when they shared that, but if we look at Mark 16, uh, verse 14, it says, Still later he appeared to the eleven disciples 
as they were eating together, he rebuked them for their stubborn unbelief because they refused to believe those who had seen him after he'd been raised from the dead. This is Jesus talking to the disciples, not just Christians, but guys who had walked with him for three and a half years. Peter who said, I will never forsake you. All the disciples who had seen so much, they'd seen demons cast out, they'd laid hands on the sick, they'd seen miracle after miracle after miracle, Jesus dies, they go back to their old life again, say, well, it was good while it lasted. And Jesus comes in and he says, I'm not overly happy, guys. I've given you a job to do. And he tells them off and then he says, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. If we put it out in modern terms today, if I've told you once, I've told you a thousand times. No, we're not there yet. But he says, go into all the world and preach the good news. And then he says, anyone who believes and is baptised will be saved, but anyone who refuses will be condemned. These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name. They will speak new languages. They will be able to handle snakes with safety. And if they drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. They will be able to place hands on the sick and they will be healed. Not only do we have a story to tell, we have a life to live. And this is the life that so many Christians want. They want to see all this. But we have to say, God, do whatever you have to in me so that I can do that. Wake me at six in the morning so that I can spend more time praying. Or five if you need to. Or four. Or three for that matter. I might just go for a walk back to Kingston. Who's ever been woken in the middle of the night and had God say, I need you to get up and pray? Who's ever turned around and said, fat chance? Our human flesh will often kick in. We can set our alarm early. We can have great intentions. But until we actually say, I choose to do this, they're nothing more than intentions. If I want to see God break through in my life, then I have to choose to study his word. I have to choose to pray. I have to choose to seek his face. It says, anyone who believes and is baptised will be saved. And the disciples lived like it was all over. And Jesus said, no, no, there's more. Go out and tell people. Our mission is to make disciples but we can't take someone to a place we've never been. As a music team, we can't lead you into worship if we've never been there ourselves. We can't lead you to the level of worship that we've never been to at home. You can never disciple someone beyond your own level. John Maxwell calls it the law of the lid. You will cap yourself at the lid. You can't take anybody beyond that. If you want to see this happen... You've got to continue growing. You've got to take the lid off. Look for a bigger pot. Say, God, continue to fill me. Holy Spirit, you said you would walk with me day in, day out. I know you're with me. I know you don't leave me. So guide me through this day. And I want to focus on one key point in this verse. Anyone who believes and is baptised will be saved. There's two components to this. First one is anyone who believes. Salvation is by the grace of God. It's a free gift. Ephesians 2.8 says you're saved by his grace when you believed and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. And I love Romans 10.9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But with the mouth confession is made to salvation, with the heart one believes to righteousness. They're the two key factors. 
There's nothing more to that. If I say, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life, he goes, good enough. He doesn't want to make it hard for us. He's given us a free gift. And it's not based on anything I've done in my life. It's not based on how much I've served him. It's not based on how good I've been. It's not based on how nice I've been to other people. It's based on me acknowledging Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour of my life. Jesus paid the price once on Calvary and never did, never needed to do any more. All I need to do now is to accept that, confess him as my Lord, and then walk that out every day. Everything from here onwards is done out of relationship. Now, we, need to look, we look at things and we say, well, there are things where God has commanded us to serve. Yes, he has, but that doesn't dictate my salvation. My works from the time I was born to now have nothing to do with my salvation. Jesus Christ paid the price for me on the cross, made a way, and all I have to do is say, I want what you've got. Everything to now is free. But from here on, God says, I now need you to serve me. I now need you to give your life for me. I need you to go into all the world and make disciples. Salvation by works is not salvation. We don't get saved by what we've done, but I say, I, once I'm saved, I serve him out of love and relationship and respect for him. Anybody who lives in my house and doesn't do anything, doesn't get involved, doesn't build relationship is just a tenant or a boarder. But my family, we go on holidays with, we talk to, we eat together, we do work together. Life happens with family, and God wants family. The next word there is baptised. Now, while the definition means to make fully wet, there's two parts to the word baptism I want to look at. And if we look at a, an old recipe for, uh, for making pickled vegetables, the vegetable first should be dipped into boiling water, and then soaked in vinegar. The vinegar then works its way through that vegetable, turning its, uh, completely changing all its characteristics to make it something completely different. The first one is a dip, the second one is a baptise. Both words are used in the Bible. The word bapto means to dip. It's a quick, repeatable action. It only happens three times in the New Testament. And the reference is, I dipped my bread into the juice, or I dipped uh, my finger into the blood. I think I can't remember what the third one was. But it's about 80 times the word baptism is used, and that refers to something that's a character, characteristic changing, a life-changing event. So when you get water baptised, it's a part of your salvation, but it's not, I'm not saved because I'm water baptised, I'm saved because of Jesus. My water baptism says, from this moment on, I want everybody to know that I will live my life for God. I will live my life to pursue him. The, the baptism that we have is a one-off event, but it's symbolic of a life-changing circumstance. So the, the dip and the baptism both work hand in hand when you are baptised, or at least it's supposed to. Who likes a Tim Tam Slam? Some love it, some hate it. I think it's a ruin of a good biscuit, personally. But you, you, you bite the corners off, dip it into your hot drink and suck it through and it completely melts the biscuit and you throw the whole thing in your mouth and they call it a Tim Tam saying, Bill loves it. <laughs> now, would you say that biscuit is dipped or baptised? 
Who would say it's dipped? Who would say it's baptized? Why is it baptized? It's gone right through it. The whole characteristics of the biscuit have changed. When you get baptized, you don't just have a bath. From that moment on, you live your life for God. You continue to serve him. So we look at this verse and says, anyone who believes and is baptized has their life changed as an ongoing process, they will be saved. Now I'm saying you can't, am, am I saying you can't be saved? That's not what I'm saying. Salvation comes because of Jesus. But I'm supposed to be walking this out every single day of my life. I was saved, I am saved, I am continually saved. Anyone who believes and is baptised will be saved. Therefore, we need to go and make disciples. And we make disciples out of the lifestyle that God is changing us into. God never intended us to do the job of evangelism alone. That's why in Matthew's account, he says it this way, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son, teaching them, uh, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, or you need to know this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. God will never leave you or forsake you. The journey of growing, the journey of discipleship, the journey of your ongoing baptism is done with God by your side. Now, the Holy Spirit has to walk with us because the journey has multiple stages that he is involved in every single way. Now, if I look at one person gets saved, if Robin could just stand up for a minute. I'll get you up as well, Liz. <laughs> Fred, can I get you as well? And maybe Tinica. This is just going to help illustrate something. Just, just come forward and we might try over here. It's a bit more room. So we just spread out four along the way. Fred, I'll get you as well. So the Holy Spirit wants to work on Robin's life. <laughs> he wants to get us saved. He's got a, a plan. He's got a purpose. He says, I see things that I can do with you. So while Robin is unsaved, he works in Liz. Liz comes along and gets Robin saved through, through the Holy Spirit. Liz then disciples Robin. They then grow and start their walk to maturity. Liz then goes off and does more. Robin, growing in him, continues the same process and now Fred gets saved. Robin disciples Fred. The process then continues again. Robin goes off and disciples someone else. Or Tinica. <laughs> but you can see the process is, the start is somebody coming in to, to witness, to work on you with the power of the Holy Spirit, the start is the moment of salvation. There's the process of growth. There's the process of maturity. There's the process of evangelism and then discipling other people. And at the time, if Roman comes back here, there comes a time in her life when she dies, then comes the reward. There's the start, there's the middle, there's the end. Thanks, guys. You can all sit down. But we need to realise there's a process in life your spiritual life is a journey and it requires birth, it requires maturity, it requires discipleship, it requires training of others, evangelism, it's a big long process 
And then the end is where you stand before the Lord and he gives you your just reward. The other process is that you get saved. The same sort of thing. Liz works with Robin. She gets saved. Robin rejoices and goes, this is wonderful. I'm so excited. Then Robin goes back and starts living her life, fulfilling all her dreams, coming to church occasionally because after all she is a Christian, lives a whole life, eventually dies having done nothing with her Christian walk, stands before God and receives her just reward. Still goes to heaven, but the reward is based on what we've done to serve God. And you might say that sounds like a works-based salvation. No, it's not. Like I said, works-based salvation says I have to perform to get saved, then I have to continue performing to keep my salvation. God says, you got saved because of me but I need you to go and do some things for me. I need you to go and make disciples. I need you to go and change the world. So is it biblical that our reward is governed by our works? Yes. If we look in Matthew and Luke, there's the parable of the talents. And I want to read what happened with the last, uh, the last servant from Matthew 25. It's from verse 24, if you're taking notes. He said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. And I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, here you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap what I, where I've not sown and gather where I've not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money in the bank with the bankers and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have in abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away and cast, into unprofitable, and cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness where there will be a weeping and gnashing of teeth. That verse then goes on and talks about uh, more things to do with eternity. So the Bible clearly shows us that there is not just salvation, but there's an expectation of us to do something with the talents God has given us. What are the talents God has given us? It might be our, our gifts, things that we can do, but I believe there's a reference to the Holy Spirit in that as well. God has given us the Holy Spirit. This guy was operating in fear. He refused to do anything because he was afraid of what might happen or what might not happen. If I invest what you've got, people might get crook at me, they might get angry at me, they might tell me off. I might tell me to leave them alone. I can't handle that. He was afraid of losing. But the other two said, we take what we've been given and we're going to work with it. We're going to make this grow. And as we saw in this illustration, God doesn't just want one person to get saved. God wants many people to get saved because how will the world get saved if the Christians don't go and disciple them? You have to step out of your box. You have to step out of your comfort zone. And we look at this and say, but I don't have the time for all this. God's not asking you to do anything above what you can't do. But we need to lay our calendars before him. We need to lay our desires before him. God, what do you expect of me? What do you want me to do? Three hours of TV a night? Yeah, I can probably cut back an hour or two. Suddenly you've got more time. God's challenged me to write a book. And for me to write means I've got to find time, which means I have to restructure how I do things. 
But if it's something God's told me to do, I have to make sure that fits into my life. I have to make sure that it fits into my schedule. I have to make sure that things that don't need to be done are cut out so that I can do what God has called me to do. Some of it might be something as simple as walking down the street and God saying, I need you to tell this person about me. I was reading in Acts this morning how uh, Peter was standing there. I'll I'll pull up the verse because it was... if I can find which one it was. It says, Peter stepped forward with the other 11 other disciples and shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk. Sorry, that wasn't the one. I'm not sure I'm going to find it easily. The reference is to Peter healing a crippled beggar. But then Peter saw his opportunity because everyone got really excited. He heals this guy. Everyone knew that he was a cripple. He heals him. Everyone's in awe. And Peter takes this opportunity and says, people of Israel, what is so surprising about this? And why do you stare at us as though we made this man walk by our own power or godliness? For it is the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our ancestors who brought, his, who brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. And he goes on and on and on and all of a sudden they see a revival. What's to stop you being down the street at Big W, seeing somebody not well and saying, hey, can I pray for you? All of a sudden this person gets healed and people are going, what happened? Well, let me take this opportunity to tell you about the God who actually does the miracle. It might be a five minute interruption to your day but it might get 15 people saved God how can you take my day and reshape it so that I can be effective for you Psalm 139 23 and 24 says search me O God and know my heart try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me into the way everlasting search my heart O God if there's anything that's wrong put your finger on it Some of you need to make a covenant with God over your eyes. What you watch on the computer or TV. I don't know of anybody here, but pornography is a big issue even within the church. What things do you listen to on the radio? What stories do you tell? What movies do you watch on TV? It's okay to turn things off. It's okay to say, God, my life is not reflecting you right now. I ask you to forgive me. And the funny thing is, some people say, I have to work harder, I have to work. Just change what you're doing. For me to come before God and say, this is an area of my life that I'm weak in, God, I need your help in this. I ask your forgiveness, thank you, and then you just get on with life. If a husband and wife want to spend more time together, they don't spend time apologising to each other for the lack of ability to input. They just start spending more time together. They make an intentional change. If you need to make an intentional change with God, today's a good day to do it. I've asked the team if we can sing, I believe. And we need to know who we believe, who we stand for, who we live our life for. I'm not just saved, 
I am baptized. I am growing in God. My life is changing day after day after day. I want to become more like Him. I don't want to die later in life. I don't want to get to 70 and go, you know what? I'm doing exactly what I was doing when I was 50. I want to get to 70 and say, I've grown a lot. We were talking to someone the other day and we said, it's amazing how a 16-year-old child thinks they know everything. And then when that child turns 21, they go, I knew nothing. Who can identify with that? When I'm 70, I'm going to look back and say, when I was 50, I was so young. But I've learned so much over 20 years. By the way, I'm not 50 yet. I'm not far off it though. (laughs) But I want to continue growing in God. My job is to get up in the morning and say, God, here I am, use me. If there's anything in my heart that's wrong, change me. And here's a thought. The way you would pray for your children or the way you would pray for the lost or a family member that you love, pray that way for yourself. God, do whatever you have to. Ruin me if you have to, as long as I come out good for you. Change me and shape me. I believe in God. I live my life for God. I serve and honour God. We're going to sing that. And as we sing it, I want you to to, to process that. As Psalm uh, 139 says, Search me, O God. Try me. Know my thoughts. Know my heart. If there's anything, break it. Get it out. Deal with it. As you sing this song, ask God to work in you. And if you need to make changes, determine in your heart, today's the day I change. And if as we're singing, you want to come forward and, and deal with it with God, come forward. We've got people here who are happy to pray with you. But this has got to be something you look at and say, God, as of this moment, I am saved, I am baptised, and my life will continue to be a breakthrough for you. Amen? Let's all stand.